the Damaged Goods Podcast. Um, it happened because uh, I moved back from New York to Boston when I was still doing music. Yep. And um, I always wanted to live in California since I was young. I was a skater. I, I had some family out here. And All right. I was the, the last winter in Boston. It was like 2016, 15, 16, where the month of February was record-breaking snowfall, and it broke my spirit. Yep. I was definitely planning on getting out of there. And I had some other elements I needed to get away from that even New York wasn't far enough, uh, <laughs> you know, and just to better myself and my life and my future, I just was like, yeah, let me speed up this process and get the fuck out to California, avoid the cold, avoid these other uh, energies and entities. And uh, yeah, I'm here. What's that about 2012 or before that? Mm-mm. When I when I came out here, well, the record-breaking snowfall. Oh no, that was 2015 or 2016. Right, yeah, because I owned the bar at the time. Oh, and uh, yeah, and it snowed. Every, not only did it snow every Saturday for like, so it just you know it was a live music venue, and every weekend we had a snow a show scheduled, and every weekend we get a foot of snow, and it was destroying the business oh, really, yeah. you know, killing it. And, and then uh, we had more snow than a Lowell, Massachusetts had the most snow in the country. Jeez. Where I live, yeah. and it was more than Alaska. My uh, my cousin owns two stores in Boston, one in JP and one in the North End. The hat stores, accessory stores, and that snowfall was so bad that winter there was no parking. Right, you couldn't park. Yeah, anymore. you could not park. Yeah, he he almost lost both his businesses. He said it was the worst economic downturn since nine mm-hmm. eleven in cities because of the snow. No one could go and shop or go to go to a bar. Go see right. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, we didn't know there'd be a pandemic a few years later. Oh, and yeah. we, could re- we could really learn about economic impact. For but sure. yeah, that was horrible for the bar. Horrible. I can only imagine, dude. Um, yeah. my, my father owned like nightclubs and bars. Mm-hmm. So, and I know it's a tough business. But when you depend on especially, you know, bands and music to be a draw on certain nights, yeah. and you're not getting yeah. that plus the bar money. It's hard. Yeah, it was really tough. Where, where are you from? Where, where were you when your dad owned uh, nightclubs? Uh, uh, this is great. This is a great time to introduce my guest, flipping it on me with questions, which I love. <laughs> uh, this man is, uh, first off, a fucking hilarious genius. He's an MC, a musician, a guitar player, on-air personality, an all-around hilarious human being, detention, low masses, very own. Mm-hmm. Um, although I know he got original New York roots, we can talk later. That's true. Yep. And, and, uh, and he's taken the, the, the seat from me and flipped it on me on damaged goods, which I love. So to answer your question, originally, I grew up in the West Indies, in the Caribbean. Oh, okay. And uh, first, for a very small amount of time on this island, Montserrat, and then mm-hmm. I moved when I was like three months old to this island, Nevis, St. Kitts and Nevis. And my father owned a nightclub bar on Montserrat that was live music. And there was a very famous recording studio, George Martin's Air Studios down there yep. in the 70s that were like... The Beatles, respectively, would go there. The Stones, yeah. fucking all these reggae artists, you know, Elton John, Stevie Wonder. And then these dudes would come play at the club with the house nope. band and shit. So he was hanging out with that. And he also owned a bar in Southern Vermont and one in Western Mass. But that, that was no mostly, idea. Yeah, that was mostly all before my time. Um, when we moved to the States, when I was like five, the bar nightclub shit for him ended. That was mostly right. 70s, early, mid 80s. But I didn't know, like, I didn't know you lived in, you know, and I know you for a long time. I didn't know you lived in the islands. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, uh, and I moved to the States 
uh, and it was, you know, it was Massachusetts and right. first Western Mass and then Boston. And, uh, you know, transition from the islands to there was different. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, being, I mean, I, I was one of like five white kids in school and stuff and it wasn't a thing. And then I get to Massachusetts and then other young white kids are saying weird shit to me based on my friends or who's around and it was fucking startling shit to hear. I wasn't, yeah. it was a, Charlestown is where my mother's family's from in Boston. Oh God. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> Completely different. Yeah. 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 A lot of people, uh, I mean, things I suppose are a lot better than they were, especially around here, around here specifically. Yeah. But this uh, Boston is a racist city thing is an earned, it's earned. <laughs> they earned it. <laughs> they earned that reputation. Um, you know, the, the busing crisis was not that long ago. I was alive for it. Yeah. There was uh, white people lining the bus singing. Uh, I'm sorry, lining the street as the bus with the black kids in it came by singing Bye Bye Blackbird. Oh, God. You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, my grandmother used to tell me crazy, uh, yeah. crazy stories about it. She was a she was a public school English teacher and shit. And so, you know, I've heard tons of that shit. And it's, uh, you know, even though, you know, times they say, yeah, times change and stuff, but the remnants of that shit is still there, especially uh, depending on where you are in Boston. If you're just yeah. in downtown shopping areas, you don't really know. Maybe you don't notice that shit. But if you live oh. there... Yeah. 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 Like uh, Charlestown was a great area for that. Yeah. They're very uh, like Southie. Yeah. They have the parade. Like they just allowed gay people into the parade like last year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, dude, you know, yeah. when I was young, um, you know, I, friends of mine wouldn't go there, even white friends of yeah. a different neighborhood. I mean, I'm half Irish, but my father's parents are from Poland. So I have a fucking Eastern European name that nobody can pronounce. You can't read it more constantly right. than vowels. So I just got my balls busted for that. For that, right? My teachers and literally coaches, not just the kids, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's a, it was what they used to say a tight knit family like environment. Yeah, you know, sure. everybody knew everybody, and they wanted to keep it that way. And you know what? I can appreciate yeah. that because I live in Lowell. I've lived in the same neighborhood since 1999, Damn, and cool. it's it's changing. Yeah. And what what I always tell to talk to uh, the mayor, the city manager, because I went to high school with the people who run the town now, <laughs> right? Is these new companies or UMass Lowell or whoever is coming in and they're acting like we didn't live here already. Yeah. You know, and they're doing construction at five in the morning on Saturday. That's you know, like, that should be illegal. It, it, I think it is. Yeah. It's union busting or something. They put so much money, like millions and millions into it. That they want to like develop this neighborhood to the point where they have just been completely disrespectful to the people who've been here. Yeah. I've been in this neighborhood since 99. Yeah. That's, you know, uh, Harvard then, does that all over Boston and Cambridge and they're in Cambridge, but they do it in Boston, you know? Right. So, yeah. So what I'm saying is I understand that tight knit community get, you know, you don't belong here, get out attitude. Yeah. Except for me, it's about developers, not about, you know, ethnic groups or racial, <laughs> just like, you know, uh, Sal's pizza, you know, Sal's pizza. Yeah. That guy, Sal Lupoli. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he bought every plot around here and he's building and he takes his time and, you know, they took all the parking and they'll bag meters for parking you know, and then never use them. So the, the meters all have orange bags on them. You can't you get a ticket, you get towed, but they don't use them. So they just sit there, you know. Beautiful. I love our infrastructure and our city planning. It's gorgeous. You need it, but there's probably a better way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Remember yeah. that almost somebody lives here, like a lot of somebody. And there's affordable housing. Little old ladies have to park two miles away and walk with their walkers now. 
you know, because they took all the handicap spots away for construction. It's, it's, I mean, it's insane. Yeah, developers, I mean, you know, everyone used to get mad when it was uh, yuppies, right? Or people who, you know, more affluent people moving into these neighborhoods, whether they were Black, Irish, Puerto Rican, whatever neighborhoods, more affluent people coming in because it fucks up the property value, this and that. Yep. But yep. developers are a whole nother beast because they're not just moving into this house and redoing it. They're knocking houses down, building yep. condos that is going to bring in more people that take up more parking, that's going to even further change the the, the economic um, graphics of the whole area. And sooner right. than, quicker than usual, this shit has changed overnight. And they and that's, the developers With- don't live there either. Right, they don't care. Yeah. They're there for one reason. Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm here to live and to raise kids mm-hmm. and to be part of a community and make things better, they're here to make money. They have one goal. I have a lifetime of goals. They have one. Yeah. I was just talking about this on uh, a Kyrie Irving Twitter post. <laughs> right, so, so Kyrie Irving put up a quote. It says, those who can build and those who can't criticize. This is after the Celtics swept them, Yeah, you know, and uh, so basically whatever. But the quote comes from a guy named Robert Moses, who's famous. Yeah, yeah, I know. Bulldozing black neighborhoods, building parks, you know, and, you know, uh, and I'm like, Kyrie, that's the wrong guy to quote. And we had a big discussion about it on Twitter, on Kyrie's thread. Dude, I got to follow you on Twitter because I don't like most of the shit I see in my feed. Yeah. I like funny shit or interesting shit. And uh, I, I got to fucking find you. Obviously, I'll be doing that when this comes out. Everyone's going to see your hat, your uh, at on there. But uh, I'm going to start. Yeah, so on Twitter, that's where I do. I, I decided to do it this way. Instagram is pictures. Let's keep Instagram pictures. Yeah. Facebook is where we make jokes. And Twitter is where the politics are. So, <laughs> or the opinions or the anger or whatever. Yeah. So that when people on Facebook, I don't want to argue on Facebook. Yeah. I'd rather I mean, just say I, what I have to say. I don't know. I, I just sort of put have different departments for the social media <laughs> platforms. It's compartmentalizing. I that's like I strangely do. I think I try to keep it. Uh, I don't know what the word not consistent, but on all of them, I, I what I do is I'm, I'm using it as a chance to promote my podcast and the books and the shit I write. But yep. I use a lot of humor and shit and like memes and shit. But that's the suck you in. That's the vitamin and the ice cream. Right. right. See, guys like you while, and I, there's, there's a method to the madness. Yeah. And I, every every so many, even on Instagram and those photos, every few jokey ass memes, I'll have a picture that I took of some shit and I'll have like a poem or a piece I wrote. And then yep. on Twitter, I got to break it up. Facebook, I can do that. And all the older folks love my shit on there, you know? Yep. I'm too old for TikTok because I think if you're a certain age on there you and you're dude, you might be a child molester or creeping. Right. Yeah, it's weird. You know what, though? That's where I make most of my money on music is oh, on TikTok. TikTok, because kids, I have a couple of songs I gotta do that. Uh, I have one song called I'm So Old. <laughs> and there are just pages and pages and pages of people lip syncing to that. So I don't know what they do. They look up songs about being old. You know, I don't know how exactly it works, but that that song now. So my most successful song was uh, Encore. It's time. I don't know if you know that one. It's yeah, from yeah, that's the whole classic shit. That's that was the, that's the big one. That's my. But I've made more money in the past five years because people keep using the same song on TikTok. You know, and I'm I'm not even on TikTok. I mean, I have a page. Oh, you're not even. Oh, so I, my fault. I thought you were talking about like this comes off of your TikTok account. No, no, no. They just look up songs and they're in the database. And so people like to make use funny songs and funny songs I got. So you're lucky you've gotten the benefit from it without having to participate in it first. Yeah, I didn't even know until I I hit up uh, Papa D and Landspeed, whatever they're called. What up, Adam? 
And I said, uh, God, hey, where, where are we on these songs? Like, I haven't hit up, hit you up in a while. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> owe you $4,000. Of course. Yeah. They owe you, but you don't know until you could add. Them. You add but I ain't like that. Cause Papa D and I, I don't, nah, that's my dude. Saying is, I think we were both surprised. Yeah. Nah. I you mean, know, I like, used to oh, intern for them when I was, yeah. I love those guys. I interned for land speed as a teenager. So I fucking, and, it, and we have a, the deal is 50, 50. We each got four grand. It was like $8,000. That's a beautiful split. Yeah. I, uh, my publicist right now because I have this new book just came out. I'm doing all this press runs. And, you know, I do pretty good on social media, but they were like, you know, Jake, we think, you know, you should probably get on some TikTok and like, do the same stuff. And I was like, oh, I feel like that's not my style. And I feel like my fans and supporters would see me do that and be like, why is he doing that? That's not him. Yeah. And they're like, oh, just try to do the same shit you do over there. And oh, I just don't know if I want to start from scratch on it, but they're in my ear uh, about it. It sounds like a terrible thing to start from scratch, but in some ways it's refreshing but there are adults on tiktok yeah. there's a couple of doctors i follow yeah and like like so, yeah, you know whatever I mean, there's, 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 there's cool. hip-hop artists i know like you know my age group that i i'm like personally know and i'm you know I, they use it they don't do anything stupid on it but it yeah. helps and i guess it's a quick way quicker than the other platforms to gain more uh followers and whatever so yeah i, I want to do a cooking show yeah. And I think that will be a good place to do it because it's uh, I actually have a few of them on YouTube. I it's called the, the world's fastest cooking show. OK. And I, and I see you how to make something in 60 seconds. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, it's like a joke, you know? Yeah. People yeah. are bitching about I don't have time to cook. I'm tired. And this man's over here giving you guys tutorials. Right. But it, it, it takes more than 60 seconds to make the food. I just edit it down. Oh, that's even better, dude. Thank you. Detention. Yeah. Thank you. You want to know why? Because I, I, I cook quite a bit myself. I fancy yeah. myself as one with the culinary skills. And sometimes I go to watch something. I don't want to read your life story and listen and watch it before. Just get yeah. to the fucking recipe and, and, and the instructions. That's it. Food blogs are like that. Dude, it's like Neapolitan pizza. When I was a child, my grandmother just showed them me. I wanted a fucking recipe. I know how to cook too. I just need to know the ingredients. I know how to freak. Yeah. I worked in the kitchen. Just get to the fucking point. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, they go on. And then, you know, and, and we were <laughs> from this region of Italy, but in that region of Italy, they make it this way. And I'm like, what's the fucking recipe? Yeah, dude, Stanley Cucci, take a fucking seat. Give me the recipe, <laughs> bro. He's good though. That shows I, I, just, I, I, you know, I was going to say Anthony Bourdain, but it, you know, I don't want to disrespect the dead. And I feel like other people probably made that joke. Yeah, still dead. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm not smoke. I don't smoke cigarettes detention. This is a CBD joint that they roll like cigarettes. Oh, okay. Whatever. Yeah. So I just don't want you to judge me because I hate cigarettes. So well, when I go out on Fridays and drink whiskey, I then want a cigarette. Did you so smoke I, don't smoke, I don't smoke all week. Like a, a, a pack of camel lights lasts me like a month. So you used to smoke on the reg though. Right. Right. And, but even then not that much, it's just, it, if I smoke some weed or if I drink some whiskey, I want a cigarette. I got friends like that, and they only smoke when they're drinking, which I've always been amazed at. Like, it's a superpower because people I know in my family, they're smoking every fucking day, you know? like Yeah, yeah. I, I was never like that. I haven't had a cigarette now West today. Thursday, it's been five days. Yeah, and I, I didn't even notice. But when I go out later, because I think it's Friday, so I'm just going to roll with that. Uh, when I go out later, I'll probably have a cigarette because I'm going to yeah. have a couple of whiskeys. I, I started smoking weed when I was 13 and, and I smoked weed pretty consistently, but I never, I mean, I tried cigarettes when I was like 12, but I grew up with my mother smoking cigarettes in the house and her friends and I just fucking hated it. The yeah. smelling and all that. And uh, 
I realized we got you high, cigarettes didn't. And they was like, oh, you smoke because you're addicted. So I figured if I'm not smoking them, then I don't need them. Right. And, I find it relaxing. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I bet. It looks fun. That's why I like smoking these because I can chain smoke these and I'm not high all day. I can function. It just takes right. a off. Yeah, the, the uh, it's funny. Uh, uh, so we can just freely talk about smoking weed now. Yeah. Where I used to be like, I, you know, I don't want my boss to find out. I can't talk about that on the podcast. My boss knows now. Um, you know, it's not like I'm smoking at work. Uh, I used to, when I first started smoking weed, I was in my 20s. I, I wasn't one of these people who was smoking weed at 14. You, you let your brain develop properly. It probably should. Yeah. Be. And I also grew up in a religious environment and was told that it opened your mind to satanic possession. So I was like afraid of weed when I was growing up. So uh, I have insomnia and I have a disease called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and it causes a lot of problems and the weed helps. And so it's the 90s, I'm 21 and I'm telling my friends, I'm telling you, this is helping me feel better. And they're like, yeah, of course it does. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Yeah, we're high and it's fun. I actually physically feel better. Yeah. You know, and people used to make fun of me. And now, of course, medicinal, everyone is on board now. No, it's... It, I had I had friends with like Crohn's disease and shit and oh yeah and I had a friend of mine he was in a hardcore band you know like a lot of hardcore dudes are straight edge yeah he touched nothing his whole life and then the Crohn's came in his late twenties and he started smoking weed just to not be in pain and, and he yeah. had straight edge his whole life and he loves it because he's not fucking and holding his stomach and, and dying all day right he's also not on opiates which yeah. is what they used to just give you. Dude, I, I had a friend of mine overdose on heroin and he started shooting heroin because of his Crohn's, another friend of Crohn's. And he was in yeah. so much pain, he started doing that shit and then, you know, didn't, didn't make A lot it. of people, you know, it's very easy to say, we've been told about heroin. There's no excuse for you to do heroin. You know it's bad, you know it's addictive, you know it can kill you. Well, I had a friend who, uh, he used to work for Pepsi. He fell off a truck, had a bunch of Pepsi cases falling, oh. fucked up his back. They put him on Oxycontin yep. for a few months. They said, you're addicted. They took it off. Yep. I'm reading the paper one day and he's arrested for buying heroin from an undercover cop. Dude. You would never guess this guy as someone to buy heroin. He was just addicted. That's, the the doctor's the addicted and then addicted him. And then he was, they bounced on him. That's the story. I have three friends like that. One of them fell through a window, you know, fucked his arm. I've had surgery. They put him on it. They cut him off. Starts buying oxys on the street, then they yeah. sniffing them to shooting. And I have another friend who got hurt in college football, same thing. And one of them's dead. The other one's still wrestles with a heroin addiction. Right. Yeah, getting this prescription pill given to them. It starts with the doctor, man. It wasn't like we made a poor decision. We thought we were being medically supervised. Not we, not me. I smoke weed. Yeah, but yeah. uh, <laughs> being rappers, we have the kind of friends who have fallen through windows. Oh, yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I fell through a wall a year and a half ago head first, like a drywall. And uh, I thought I was going to maybe wake up with some crazy superpowers, but I just have like little memory lapses. Oh, that's, that's your superpower. The yeah. ability to forget. I get to forget <laughs> the bullshit. <laughs> oh, man. Remember the last time I saw you? Because I haven't seen you in a really long time. Yeah. When was uh, it? It was, no, it was Hip Hop Fest at the Paradise. Oh, oh, at the Paradise. NOG show. Which I think I know the one. Please tell. Because I think I know the one. I was hosting the show. And the thing about a show with 25 rap acts. Unity Fest, right? Unity Fest. Unity Fest, of course, right? Peace. Everybody was supposed to be peaceful. That's right. Peace and Unity Fest. Uh, The thing about hosting a show like that is you got to keep track of everybody. So I have a million stories because there was like three or four. We did that like three or four years in a row. There was one one cat who wasn't even, he's not even a rapper now. He wasn't a rapper then. He just thought he was. 
And he was supposed to go on at like 7 p.m. That show didn't even really start till like 9 or 10. No one showed there up. There so many acts. So he showed up at like 10 going, can I go on? I'm like, you missed your time. And he, he started crying. But that's not the story I'm here to tell you. Wow. I will just never forget the fact that this kid was started crying. My mother's here. You know, like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so uh, I'm hosting. And while I'm getting, you're, ne- you're on next. So we're like towards the, the end of the night. There's like four or five. I remember Raekwon. And Ed OG were the headliners, right? Ed OG and then Raekwon, the chef. So you and I would have been on towards the end, like maybe three or four before that of like 30 groups, you know? And I'm getting ready to introduce you. And these two or three little kids, really like 14, 15, 16 year old looking kids get on stage. And what looks like to be their father is messing with the CD player, putting their beats on. And I'm like, what's going on? And the guy says to me, you're dismissed. And I'm like, no, 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 no. What is what is happening right now? And I, I'm trying to find Edo and he's just doing whatever. Edo was working the room. No, no disrespect to him. It's not his fault. And as a legendary Boston hip hop group, which was known for causing problems. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, Jake the Snake. And the guy takes the mic out of my hand and goes, nope. And then his sons just started. They weren't even on the schedule. They just showed up and, and commandeered the stage. Yeah, and I started arguing with him, and he pushed me. You were standing in the wings, going, "What's happening right yeah, now?" Yeah, I was in this like coming out the green room. Yeah, <laughs> and he pushed me off the stage, and this is the best part of it. I fell off the stage, and who, who caught me? But Raekwon, the chef, and a cop together—that's hilarious. Put, put their hands up and stopped me from falling, and pushed me back on stage. And I told the sound man, "These guys, turn the mics off. I don't know who these guys are." And then uh, they went on anyway. I literally walked out the front door, got in my car and went home. Like I, I skipped out on the rest of the show. Did you, did you host the next year after that? I never hosted an event oh, again. So I've, I've got a great two-parter to this story. So, yeah. so as Detention explained, not only I, but a few other acts got bumped last yeah. minute. Yeah. And Edo felt really bad. And so he reached out to me and the other heads uh, and he's like, look, Wants to come back again. Don't worry. You're good. You got, you got your whatever. I think it was 15 minutes because there was so many artists. Yeah. So next year's up. I'm on stage and I'm performing. My, my, some of my guys are with me. And I think we have like one song left and we're, we're still under the 15 minute mark. We're like pretty damn close. And then um, I, I don't want to say whoever was DJing for me at the time, somebody came up to them and was like, yeah, cut it. It's, it's done. And it was a big deal the year before what you're talking about, like me and a few dudes just getting cut last minute because of that. And we were pretty pissed. Yeah. And we were promised that this wouldn't happen again. So it's kind of happening. I mean, we are performing, but they're cutting us real short. Right. So I go over to my DJ and I'm like, nah, play that motherfucking record. And he looks pretty yeah. scared because, you know, the people next to him and like who's yeah. telling him and stuff. Was so, it the same people? No, no, different. Okay, right. <laughs> it, was, it was actually, it was Edo and somebody else. Um, and then I was getting mad. And so I'm over there and then I'm getting up in, and it's in the middle of the fucking paradise is packed. It's like middle of the show. The music stopped. Yeah. Everyone's seeing what's up. So I get over there and I kind of get in somebody's face and they get in mine. Yeah. And, and we're on stage in the middle of it talking. I'm like, what the fuck? You, you doing this to me again? This, you can't do this to me in public behind. Before I go on stage, you cut me. That's one thing I can't, I got to save face. Right. And so then their affiliates come up next to me and start saying some other shit. But then my affiliate comes from behind them and my affiliates also might have made broad things into the club that you're generally not supposed to bring into clubs. Right, sure. And now it's a pretty like intense showdown, and I have some words with him on stage, and then uh, I grab the mic and I, I the next artist was uh, Dre Rob, who's a homie of mine. So I was like, yeah. I'm gonna introduce this dude, to whatever. It wasn't him; he had nothing to do with it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But, uh, you know, I, we almost started a big brawl on stage at the Unity Fest. It was a big deal. Everyone was talking about it. I, was, I had to do it from my, you know, the respect for my people because they didn't want to feel like disrespected again. And right. the crowd. And I was tight at Edo for a while about it. But in retrospect, like I forgave the man. He's running a fucking show with so many acts. And, you know, I was a young kid. I was a lot dumber than I am now and hot headed and shit. Sure. And, you know, he also didn't have me. He didn't have me running the show that year. Yeah. I ran that show for him for years and we ran a tight ship. There was only one incident and it was the one where you were on next. Yeah. So the next year he asked me to host it. And I said no, because of yeah, I got pushed off the stage. Yeah, you know, I, I they, they stole the stage. I'll tell you what else happened that night. Same people uh, were doing a uh, an um, uh, uh, an interview. The guy had a camera. They were doing an interview in the men's room, and so you know how you go to a, a club and the ladies' room has got like fifty women in line, and the men's room's got like ten because we piss and we out. Yeah, it's a little more involved when you're a female, right? So I'm like, why? Are there 350 men in line to go to the bathroom? Like, oh, he wouldn't let anyone in the bathroom. He wouldn't let anyone in. Yeah. And I was like, we're all going to piss our pants and shit, you know? And then like, like an hour later, they commandeered the stage. And then no, that was the days of undergroundhiphop.com. Yeah. And so, you know, these, you know how that was like these, these anonymous internet MC yeah. types. Shit. And they're like, uh, detention got scared and ran off the stage. And I'm like, well, that's not what happened. I was pissed. And I said, fuck this. And I left, you know? Yeah, uh, you know, and I, apparently to those kids that was a bad look, and I'm like, you know, what a bad look staying there, going, no, give me the microphone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, that shit. I mean, that's I'm the like, same reason I kind of had to get up in Edo's face on stage, and I didn't. This is a hip hop legend I looked up to since I was young. Right. So I didn't want to do that, but I, I, I think it was the, the, the lesser of two evils for my choice. And like I said, I felt you know justified, and then also I was like, man, the more mature Jake the Snake is looking back, and I was like, you know, I, I saw Edo once in JP, I saw him on Center Street, and. Yeah. Kind of like apologized about it, and he did too because yeah. he felt bad, and hopefully it's all good. And that shit's old now. I'm, I'm sure it is because I will tell you that Ed OG over the years, especially because he was on top, yeah, is going to have people are going to come at him, right? Yeah, of course. He has forgiven people for much worse. Yeah, oh yeah, and I mean, it's not like I, I didn't feel like I was totally in the wrong. I was apologizing. Right, that's the other thing. Yeah, crashed, but I, I explained I felt like I was put in a position where I had little I could do. But right, all that being water under the bridge. uh, you, aside from that, you were always a great host. And I remember I love, making, I used to love doing it. you made a joke. It was at the Hip Hop Awards in Boston. <laughs> and um, I'm a shout out DL, a rapper from Boston, DL. Yes. He just performed. And it was like when Bape hoodies and all that colorful zip up hoodies were cool. And uh, detention, you know, when the performance is over and he's segueing back into the awards and he makes a great joke. So DL had a Bape hoodie on. It was like many hues of blue. There was great camo hoodie, I should say. Yeah, and it was a camouflage. Yeah, yeah. Detention was like, oh, give it his up. His whole crew, up. his whole crew, they all had that. Oh, like, they did. Yeah, he, yeah he, they were all wearing that blue. Yeah, give it up for DL. Uh, no one will be able to find him in the blue forest or something. Like that. <laughs> Me and all my boys, we were dying, dude. We were like, they were like, yo, I was like, yo, this dude's the funniest fucking dude. He's the best, dude. Oh my god. I always think, and it's funny because of what just happened with Will Smith, but I always thought like hosting an award show, you're supposed to bust people's balls. That's fuck what you're supposed to do. Yeah, so if they ever get lost in the blue forest, no one will ever find them, you know? And it's then the other one that got people mad, it got Big Suge mad. And again, Big Suge was mad, but we're still friends, was uh, the nominees for Boston Hip Hop Artist of the Year. Let me see if I can remember what they were. So Lyrical, who, uh, who won, he gave himself an award. He ran that award show, right? So Lyrical, um, who's an old friend of mine, but I'll say to his face, he gave himself an award. Uh, 
And then Benzino and the crowd went, ooh. And I'm like, I just said the man's name. I don't know what yeah, you're I talking about. I don't think he was there. No, he wasn't there. And then I said, and Guru. And there was dead silence. And I said, uh, what? And people went, oh. I'm like, what? He's from, he's from Boston. Ask anybody in Brooklyn. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that Big Shook was like, that's corny. That's super cool. Yeah. Like, he was not happy about it at all. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, Guru wasn't, he was still with us at the time. Yeah, yeah, at the time. But it was just a ball bust, you know? Who's more successful than Guru? Like, I can't hurt him. Yeah, and I mean, dude, that's like what you're supposed to do. And yeah. I think you did a good job of it. And it's not like, dude, you're not insulting people's moms on the street. It's not a disrespect. No. It's a comedic thing. It's like when you go to a comedy show, you got to be a thick skin if you're sitting close to the stage because you might get roasted by the stand-up right. comic up there. Don't sit in the front. And it's been fun. A young me, a young me, though, I might have not been able to take it, but right. I didn't go to comedy shows then. Now I do go. I make fun of myself more than anybody. I shit on myself in my books. So it's like uh, I ate mild myself. You ain't going to really hurt my feelings. Right. I did that. Uh, I was going to, but when eight mile came out, I was going to, I, I, I've always been a writer. I never been a freestyle MC. I've never entered an MC battle because that's not what I do. I don't come off the top. It's a great skill. I just don't have it. Um, but right when eight mile came out right before that, I had entered a battle and my, I, my plan was to insult myself the whole time. Like that was my plan. Yeah. And then eight mile came out. And I'm like, I can't do it now. <laughs> Cause I'm like, once you get past fat, short glasses, beard, yeah, now, what do you got? So I'm going to hit all those. True. And now you got nothing. Yeah. It's a smart know? tactic, man. What are you going to say? I have had successful records. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You've always been a, like a humorous dude in, in your music and shit too. Did you ever do like comedy, like stand up? Or I did stand up for four years and uh, I hated it. Really? I, so part of the reason I hated it was because I had gone all over the world with my rap career. So this is, like, this is like time. Give me a year. I mean, so 20, uh, like 10, 11, 12. Okay, right so yeah, you've been time. doing rap for a minute. You've been making for a long time. Oh, gotcha. So the first adjustment was, and this is just maybe you could just say it's just ego or what I'm used to, but starting at the bottom again mm. was really, really difficult for me, especially when I was funnier than some of the guys who were getting paid, you know, like, I, like I, I'd been, you know, like I, I'd kill. And, you know, you get there and they, and they treat you like shit. Yep. The other comics, there's like hip talk about hip hop unity fest. A heyday of Boston underground hip hop. I've talked about this a lot, but say like acrobatic, esoteric, Edon, myself, Nabo. We were all friends. No one was out to hurt anybody. We're not each other. We would all be on each other's records. Yeah, I'd go see all you guys at one show when I was like 17. Exactly. In comedy, it's you must not only succeed, but you must embarrass and destroy the other comics, mm. you know? And I didn't like that aspect of it. And then in, in, in hip hop, there's a schedule. Like we we're talking about the show. You're on it this time. This guy's on it that time. You go, you know, that ahead of time yeah. in comedy, they bump you all the time. I hear about that all the time. So I was there. I remember one of my, my very last standup show was in the, the night before I played at the Apollo oh, shit. In, in Harlem. Thousands of people, whatever that theater holds. Not the Apollo in Lowell, the Harlem. No, no, the the one in Harlem. And it was an HBO thing, too. And I killed, I had an amazing night. And then, like, a night or two later, I'm playing the Boston Comedy Fest. I do the same set. I This is the other thing. I bombed. And I couldn't handle bombing because I wasn't used to bombing. Yeah, because you're used to killing it on stage. Right. Even on a bad night in hip-hop, I I never bombed this hard. I got booed once at the Middle East because of the content of lyrics of one of the songs. Oh, shit. 
Uh, it was called, that song was called, uh, the, <laughs> that song was called the Too Much Pussy Blues. I like that. <laughs> I got the blues. I got the Too Much Pussy Blues. And it talks about how often I get laid. It's just ridiculous. It's, it's a, a great song. song. And there were a lot of people like, uh, I think I was opening for Sage Francis maybe. And there was a lot well, his, of- His audience might not have enjoyed They it. hated it. They booed me, but I still thought that was fine because I got a reaction and I joked with it. This was, this was bombing yeah. at, at, at the show in Boston. And it was supposed to be, I was supposed to go on at, at like eight. I get there and they're like, you're on at 6.30. Uh, I'm like, okay. I'll, you brought oh, you and down they, early. And then they said, no, 10. And then they said, no, 11. And they're like, no, back to nine. And the guy who was in charge, every time he bumped me, he bought me a shot. And I didn't realize this. And now I've learned this about him since then. He got me bomb, he got me drunk on purpose. Oh, he sabotaged you. He sabotaged me. Because I, I don't drink, I drink whiskey, but I had drunk like six and normally three. Yeah, you know, before you go on stage too, it's different than drinking. I, and now in my life now, I don't drink until I'm done performing. Yeah, same, you know? dude. And it's so funny because I'm jumping around a little bit here, but I'd rather in the old days when I was doing hip hop still. I want to go on as late as possible Yeah, because I don't want to go on first. But now at my age and with the age of my fans, I'll go on first and then I can drink the rest of the night. It's a completely different perspective. You know? Oh, it's true, man. So I, I bombed and I, I, I stopped in the middle of the set and left. I literally, just like I did at <laughs> Fest, I just went home and never performed again because I'm like, this is like the, other, the other acts are literally out to get you. Yeah. Um, if you have a big successful night, they'll tell you you didn't and tell you what you did wrong. Like, um, and it just like starting at the bottom just sounded horrible, which is funny because now you go forward 10 years later. I taught myself how to play guitar and play in a rock bands, and I'm starting at the bottom and I'm happy to. Yeah. Just and, a different perspective. Yeah, you know, man. I mean, when I so I was doing music, you know, the hip hop thing, and then I started a band for like called Blue Gold for about three years, like 2012 to 2015. Um, yeah. but I still had, you know, the residue of, of Jake, the snake, Jay, the S. So I, we, we were playing shows, but not, you know, not just, um, all kinds with bands, with hip hop acts, with whatever. And we mm -hmm. were traveling. It was great. And I didn't really have to start from the beginning yet, but I got so soured and angry with the music industry. It like, mm -hmm. it, it killed my passion. Yep. Probably the apex of my career. I still like creating, recording, performing, hanging out with artists, but everybody who in the like, promoters, radio guys, record labels, managers, you name it, it fucking killed my spirit. And I just stopped. When I moved to LA, I was like, I'm not, I'm not making music no more. Or maybe for yeah. fun. I taught myself how to play guitar as well, but I didn't want yeah. to do that. And uh, I started writing like, you know, little stories and poems. And I wanted to get into podcasting. I had a radio show for a while. And I, I started at the bottom, essentially, again. Um, and it was kind of humbling. And I started, like, I had a big life change, which I can't really talk about on this, which is the only thing I probably can't talk about that. That's right. Economically a little too. And I was like humbled in so many ways. Like you said, after dude, I was like traveling, playing fucking shows all over the country, doing hip hop, yeah. selling shit, signing autographs. And now I'm like, nobody knows me right in writing except for the fans I've been building over the last five years. And it's, yeah. it's, it's people who can do that in their early twenties, their teens. But when you do that in your thirties, it's a yeah. fucking hard pill to swallow. It is. And now I'm 50. Oh shit! You look good for fifty, man. I was yeah. gonna say forty. Well, I lost I lost two hundred pounds. That helped a lot. Holy shit! Because I was four hundred and almost four fifty. Congratulations! Now I'm down in the two fifty, two forty area. Um, yeah, I started taking my health more seriously. But I tell you, my my last ever hip hop show was in Lowell. Performing? A, yes, was uh, yeah, 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 performing. Um, it was a, a music festival, 
And it was at a club called the Old Court that I have sold out by myself a thousand times. Like, so lot, no headliner, just me and maybe one other group and opening. And this was me and Ed OG, oh. right? And some other guy, I think Sean Wick and some other guys were on that show. And that, there should have been 200 people at that show. And there was like 15 people at that show. And I'm performing going, you're doing the same old songs. These songs are almost all about sex or all about being fat. And it's just like, how long, like, this is going through my mind while I'm playing. Oh, wow. Like, how long are you going to do this? Mm. You know? So I said, I'm going to take a break and refocus on what I'm going to do. And the next thing I know, four years pass. I haven't played a show. And I won some guitars on Instagram and a shady Instagram contest. And now I have a rock band and I'm singing and, uh, and, and, and playing guitar. And Hell yeah. It's going really well. And so and it's like, so some rap people are like, you turned your back on hip hop. And I'm like, well, no, I, I, I might do it again, but I'm doing this now. And why do I have to be about one thing? Like I'm from the Bronx in the seventies, you know, yeah. like you, you cannot, you're not going to take my hip hop credentials away. You got more, you, know? you got more credibility in that than most people from all over the world. Right. So it's, I'm doing this now. And so what, you what's know, the like, band? what's the name of the band? The band is called Detention Secret Rock and Roll Band. I like that. <laughs> But I think we're going to shorten it to Detention and the Secrets. And then there's other bands called Secrets. So we're spelling it like the Beatles, the B-E-A, the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go with the Secrets like we're from the ocean. Uh, I like that, dude. <laughs> oh, man. I used, to, uh, I used to want to start a band where I was front man and the whole band was, was women. And it was called Jake the Snake and the Dudettes. Yeah. But I, I, had, I wanted to do a, a band that was all women behind me, too, at one time. Yeah, I mean, I had I had two uh, women in my band, um, bass player and a, a vocalist. But right, you know, like I just did an interview with some magazine yesterday about my book, and the, the person must you know found out because when I write books, I go by my government name, Jake Fratchek, which is right. Just because it's like uh, I don't know, I kind of want to rep that in my writing now. You know, sure. I still go by Jake the Snake on my you know podcast, radio show, whatever. But the guy right. must have done done his homework, and he was asking me about my music shit. And he's like, oh, like, how does your music connect with your writing and what you got working on music wise? I was like, you know, man, I, I don't make music professionally anymore. I stopped that a while ago. Not, nothing wrong with it. I, I mean, I love music. I grew up with hip hop. I grew up break dancing or trying to break dance, writing graffiti before I. Yeah, yeah, me too. Riding, you know, yep. and I was just, you know, I and I even had that, too. I people say, oh, you know, how come we don't make music? I had somebody. Uh, from Boston today call me, asking if I would get on a project for some shit. And I, it's not like I've, I never turned my back. I've always been an artist, not a musician. I grew up painting and drawing. My grandparents were artists, they're painters. Skating right. 10 years, that like, you know, at a high level, that was my form of expression, then music. And right. writing like I do in broadcasting now, that's another form of my expression. I just need a, a, a canvas of any form. So I never yeah. turn my back on shit. It's just, I'm yeah. always- Why, why do we have to do one thing? Why do people think we have to do one thing? Because some people can only do one thing. And so yeah. they see what you might do is, is like, what? They don't get it. It don't make yeah. sense. There's yeah. also yeah. The, the fact that at 51, I'm looking around. I remember it was, the show was, uh, this was towards the end. Little Zan. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and the people are going crazy. And I just had a lukewarm reception playing my songs, which are better than his. You played a, a little Zan show. Was a, whoever, who put you on that? That's a wild combo. Yeah, it was, it was in New York, too. It was just weird. And I'm like, but this is what hip hop is like now. Like, yeah. I don't even I don't even like this music right now. Like the, the, the mainstream shit, the shit. Yeah. That, 
is out there is horrible. I mean, and I'm like, this kid is all about drugs. Like, this is just not the scene for me at all. Although I did used to go over really well in Mickey Avalon shows. You know, he's funny, though. And I think yeah. you guys have a, like a similarity in that, that you, you know, hip hop is always so serious. Right. And when I was doing hip hop, I couldn't let my actual like humorous side out because I, I had to whatever, maintain a certain whatever. And I hated that. But I think yeah. you know that's something you and Mickey Avalon have in common, and uh, I I think there's like room for that in hip hop. You see it in in Sean Price and Action Bronson. Ghostface is kind of humorous. I yeah. like that, and uh, I like also now I don't take myself seriously at all. Yeah. I used to take myself so fucking serious, and I hated that. Uh, and it's so much more liberating, dude. I mean, I feel like you didn't in a good way. Didn't take yourself. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I actually was sort of a, in the beginning rapping, like doing the same shit everyone else was doing. And I wrote this song. I don't know if you've ever heard this song, and I don't know what you know about me, but it's a song called "Guess Who's Coming to Dinner." It was one oh, of my of more. Of course, I heard this song. Yeah. So I, I wrote it's it. A, a old classic, like book and movie, and it's a theme of of sorts. Right, right. So it's a song about uh, going to your gr racist girlfriend's parents' mm -hmm. house. You know. Um, Wrote it, looked at the lyrics and said, what are you doing? This is, this is insane. Threw it away. Went to a show with my friends, came home drunk. Said, let me look at that again. Drunk. Dug through the trash. Yeah. Pulled it out and said, no, this is you being yourself. Those other things, you're not in the beat nuts. You don't have to sound like you're in the beat nuts. You don't have to rap about the same. I love the beat nuts. Yes, but I noticed that I was basically mimicking them. And of course, in, in our day, originality was everything so that song changed my life and i almost threw it away and that's when i said i'm just going to rap about the shit that i want to rap about you know that's and a wild uh, story I, and uh, you know it's, it's wild that like for you know people with bad mouth substances here and there uh there's things the good things that can come with them like it took you to get out of your mind a little bit being drunk not out of your mind but maybe more in your mind to yeah. give it a second glance like hold on maybe i'm questioning myself let me dig through this garbage this rubbish mm -hmm. and find this gem Cause I know I know that song of yours and shit, and that's yeah. I like the backstory. I'm always fascinated by the backstories to the creative process of movies, albums, books. Yeah, you know, little things like what you just said. That anecdote makes it more of a enriches the song. That song literally changed my life. Hell yeah! It, 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 I became a successful rapper after that, not before that. Before that, I was just an opening act doing the same thing everyone else was doing. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm looking at it going, you cannot do this song on stage. Guess who's coming to dinner? Guess whose cock is pounding your daughter's liver? Guess who's living with a sinner? Guess whose bloodline just got thinner? Guess whose DNA is all up in her? You can't say that. Why the fuck not? You know, I think, I, especially like, aside from it being you being you, I think like those are the songs, like, you know, there's not a lot of songs like that ever, uh, let alone at that time. So it's given people something fresh, which regardless if people are going to like something fresh or not, they're going to listen because it's like, whoa, I had never heard anyone say this shit. This is a story they're telling that hasn't been done in hip hop a million times over. Right. You know? Right. And I, I always respect artists for originality more than anything because it's, it's so few and far between that I find anybody, whether it's a writer, a director, a fucking musician, that's truly original or taking chances. And people will criticize them for that. I'm like, yo, at least this guy is trying to do whatever that's it. is him. And it was all after that. It was all taking chances and doing yeah. my own thing, you know, and it was served me very well. And then, you know, I was also a producer. And so I could sell beats and make money that way. Yeah. One of the worst things that ever happened to hip hop is the laptop garage band, you know, because uh, you don't need a producer anymore. We have it. And it's like, yeah, but your beats are fucking garbage. You're like, you know, I like the reason people bought my beats is because they were good. Yeah. You know, 
And so I'm not, they're not all garbage, but everyone thinks they're a producer now. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the, there's like the double-edged sword of technology. In some ways it's leveled the playing field, right? It, mm-hmm. it allows people to bypass the gatekeepers and things and financial hardships of re- making music. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it opens the gate for so much fucking trash to come through. Right. It saturates the market. Yeah, but it's yeah. true. Uh, the same thing happened with, with movies. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, you can make a movie now. And there's some great movies that got made on no budget because and no one believed in the project uh, until it got made by the person on their own. Uh, the Blair Witch Project was kind yeah, of that's like, that's a great example of a low budget movie. I think with movies, with the way it makes them work, if it's like going to be a tight budget, the story has to be something that you can shoot in low budget that doesn't require yeah. high actors and a crazy set, you know? Right. And, and so one of the, the good and bad things about that is when you have a, a limited budget, you make a horror movie. And so the horror movies are all like the, the low budget horror movies are terrible. Yeah. But that one, if you told this to a kid today, they would think we were making it up. People thought the Blair Witch Project real. was real. I was real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what everyone thought. It got spoiled for me by the time I seen it, unfortunately. Yeah. So it didn't have the impact, but you're right. That was the fucking word. It was, oh man, maybe it's real. Yeah. But yeah, now. No, that's not a movie. They're just taking a camera in the woods. And you know, a bunch of the shots are just black yeah, because they're in the woods and there's no lighting. Yeah. And, no and made it look like, it made it look real. Yeah, smart. Uh, I don't, what did that person who directed that, did they do anything after that? I don't even know. You know what? I really, Yeah. Let's look it up. It's the future. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any interns anymore. I, well, on my radio show, I did, but on podcasts, it's just me and myself and I and all that. So I, I juggle shit. it all. 1999. Directed by Blair Witch Project, Independent Spirit Ward. Yeah. The Blair Witch Project, Believers, Soul Sister, The Objective, and Skyman. So I don't know any of those other movies, you know? Never heard of them. Damn, dude. Oh. One and done, dude. You know, there's like a lot of actors that I, I've seen win like the best actor of Oscar and then their career or the, at least the choice in films they take afterwards fucking tanks. Yeah. And, and you just got lucky. You you might not have been a great actor. You were great in this role for this flick, but you're yeah. not overall a great actor. Right, right, right. That happens all the time. And, you know, I, I've worked in movies a lot lately, too. In fact, I just got cut from one. Damn. So... I was in, uh, they're making a Fletch remake. No! Wait, 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 wait. A, a, a third or a remake? Uh, a remake. With, it's not Fletch Chevy Chase. Flesh lives on my shit, dude. I love uh, <laughs> So it's John, John Hamm from Mad Men is Fletch, which if you think about it, is perfect. He's a comedic actor to begin with, way before yeah. Mad Men, so I, I give him credit. Yeah. Mad Men was funny, too. But, uh, so I, get, I do an audition, and I get the part. I am a speaking role. I spend the day with John Hamm. And it was like the most successful shit. I got paid a nice chunk of change. And so when you do these movies, they might cut the scene. Yeah. You know, I'm only in a couple of scenes. And then they don't tell you. And what happens is you bring your wife and kids to the movie. You're not in the fucking movie, right? This director, um, who he did super bad. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Right? So he's done a bunch of things. He emailed me and said, I'm very sorry to tell you this but we had to cut your scene, but you did a really, really good job. And uh, if I ever do something again, I'll call you, you know, and uh, that does not happen. That just does not happen. You got a personal email. I got a personal email uh, from uh, his name is escaping me, which is uh, Greg Matola. Greg Matola has done a bunch of shit. 
Shout out Craig Mottola. Great to me. Great to me. But they cut me. So I'm not in it. That happens. I've I've got a lot of friends who act and they've been in, you know, pretty big things and the same shit. Do they go to the premiere or they go with their girl? Nothing. That's crazy, man. Where were they filming that in mass? Yeah, they did it in Gloucester. Is it take place in Gloucester? No, that that no, it doesn't. It takes place around the world. Okay, okay. You know, that scene is like on an island somewhere and I was supposed to play a, a Puerto Rican fisherman. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And uh, I guess I signed a non-disclosure. I shouldn't say too much about it, but it's oh, yeah. coming out. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm not in it anymore. You Dude, know, that's dope that you're doing the acting thing that big, man. Fletch, no, Fletch is uh, uh, one of the funniest movies, dude. I used to want to be like a writing reporter kind of dude who got into like adventures like Fletch Lion and yeah. ponds and disguises. disguises yeah. <laughs> I like disguises, bro. I got when, uh, He played for the Lakers, dude. He uses blackface. Chevy Chase. Oh, and oh. the first Fletch movie, he sneaks onto the Lakers. Them. First of all, he sneaks onto the Lakers like no one recognizes him, you know? I do remember him always, like, at his desk, like, shooting. Like, he had a little, like, you know, toy basketball hoop and it was shoot, yeah. shoot. But, yeah, yeah, Blackface. There's a couple of Blackface ones. There's uh, Soul Man. Oh, of course. Wait, like, Tom, see, C. Thomas you know, Howell to get into college? Yes. That's the most infamous of all. Yeah, and, and, and James uh, Earl Jones is in that movie. I never seen it, but I I know I'm aware of it. I studied about it, you know, back in the day. And I was like, this movie's and I don't see that actor after that movie. I seen him in early 80s movies. If you see after that movie, he kind of doesn't really have anything. No, he was in the outsiders. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, big yeah. shot to Danny Boy. Yeah. You know about that? From, uh, house of pain is in the outsiders too no he bought the outsiders house because they were going to demolish it like oh he actually, uh, yeah i heard about you know? that yeah yeah um i was like no way he was in that as a kid <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so uh so see thomas howell in, in order to go to harvard he can't get in but he gets in on affirmative action because he applies as a black person and he wears shoe polish and goes to class Oh, and dude, falls dude. in love with radon chan yeah who finds out that he's white <laughs> like like what with this movie was Radon Chong in Commando? Maybe. She was in a bunch of things. You know, that's Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think yeah. she's in Commando. She's like this woman that Arnold kind of like doesn't kidnap, but like makes her help him rob a bunch of fucking guns from a gun store to go fucking kill like 800 dudes in Nicaragua to rescue his daughter or something. Right. So back when Nicaragua was the, the, the movie trope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now my friends go surfing in Nicaragua and shit, so. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it's great, great surfing. It's still sketchy, though, but great surfing. Yeah. Oh, wow. She's old. <laughs> I just looked up Radon. She's 60. Um, well, it's not even that she's 61. Yeah. But the picture is, you know, I'm picturing. She's old. It's that she looks old. <laughs> she looks her age is what she looks. Oh, precisely. And, and that's not a bad thing, but she was fine. When yeah, she, she was quite uh, quite the, the, the talk of the town back then. I was. You know, younger in her prime, I was still playing with fucking G.I. Joes and shit, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I can respect an attractive woman in her mid-40s, even touching 50, looking good. Absolutely. I have a song about it called Soccer Mom. Now I'm too old to even sing that song. (laughs) That song was another one that did really, really well for me. You You know, ridiculous song. To any of these songs? What's that? Your children listen to any of these songs of yours? Dave, uh, that's a really great question. I have not shown. Well, I have detention. It's great questions, but <laughs> <laughs> I have not. Sh- I haven't shown it this stuff to them, but they do have YouTube. Oh yeah, they're aware of who their father is, and every now and then something will come up, and they'll be like, "Yeah, that song," you know, like because they're both because it's a different day and age. 
These are kids of the Me Too era, right? So I, they're both very politically aware. How old are they? If you don't mind me asking, such a seventeen and fifteen. Oh, so they're fucking yeah, they're up there. Yeah, they're one, one's getting ready for college, the other one's getting into high school, and they know more about what's going on in this world than probably you know their mother does. You know what I mean? Like they just really, and they would they they would not find. Maybe they might find soccer mom. Like, first of all, none of my songs are like about being harmful. No, not at all. You know? Good, but good. Uh, in the in, in the era we live in, I have to watch every everything you say. Yeah. Have have um, have your kids ever asked you, hey, hey, dad, hey, father, hey, Mister Tension, uh, who's coming to dinner? Why did you come to dinner? I don't know if they've heard that one. Yeah, maybe it's better they don't. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they do. Yeah, just that line. Is pounding your daughter's liver. They don't need to hear that. Yeah, that's that's where that's where I was going, you know. Yeah, but there's no video for that song. See, so the, what they know, they've seen. So they've seen like I have a song called "No Habla Español." They've seen that one about being Puerto Rican but having bad Spanish skills. Yeah, and they've seen Soccer Mom, and they've seen my rock band. They've come. That is the greatest thing in the world. They that's and my rock band isn't completely inoffensive. They, uh, but yet, uh, yet still messages. Um, I just grown up a little bit, but they to to play. I'm singing and playing guitar and I look out and, and my youngest daughter is looking at me with a giant smile on their face. Man, that was a great feeling that I never thought I would experience. Cause that's pretty awesome, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. As a yeah. man with no kids, I don't know what that's like, but I could imagine that's soul touching. I just sleep late cause I don't have any kids waking me up and shit though, but, I, but it's awesome. Good for you though. That's dope. Yeah. I, work, I work third shift. I come home, I see them before school. I pick them up after school. I sleep in the middle. I sleep all day, but I'm up all night. You know, yeah. I, I, and I'm in radio too. I work. I don't yeah. know if you know this. I'm a traffic reporter. No, I. Yeah, I mean, I you did like radio for years. I didn't know you were doing traffic reporting. Though. Well, you know, I was at WFNX where I was yeah. you know, a rock, a, a radio DJ, and then at the end, I was the morning man. We had the morning show, and that yeah, was. Yeah, like I remember a, that. And then that shut down after many, many years. I think they were open for like 25 years, and I worked there for 10. Um, and I couldn't find a job, and then. Uh, the WBZ iHeartRadio yeah. needed a traffic reporter for a traffic reporter for overnight. Okay, so it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm telling you what's on the roads. Watch out for that one deer. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Oh, I do a lot of deer, a lot of coyotes, and then uh, construction, overnight construction, and then any crazy thing, accidents, car fires. Yeah, car, um, good old car fires. A lot of those. But, but it's not uh, rush hour. It's a whole during the day. It's a whole different job. Oh yeah, that sounds but, like. I like the night shift idea anyway. There's more interesting. Sh- I've seen a car fire at night driving back. I performed in, uh, I think it was in somewhere in New Hampshire. We was driving back to Boston and just on the side of the road, this sedan is engulfed in flames. Yeah. We're all high and like, you know, Ill- illegalities exist within the vehicle that we're all in. So we just keep going. Yeah, you got to keep going. Yeah. You know, I mean, being a good Samaritan, pretty important. Uh, protecting yourself from the authorities. Also very important. So. Right, and by then, the car's already engulfed in flames. Yeah, I, what am I, a no firefighter? I don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of that. There's, there, I've heard some things, I, you know, because we listen to the scanners. So I've heard. I, I, heard, I had, But I have like nine of them. And you, have to, <laughs> and you have to train your ear to listen to them all at the same time. It's insane because they have codes, right? So once they give the code, if it's not something related to traffic, I just tune it out in my brain. But I mean, I heard, I heard a baby get born. I've heard a cop get run over by cars because they pulled someone over. And, you know, I've heard uh, one time they pulled a guy over. And this is like, if you're a criminal, I want to explain something to you. I hope you're listening to me. I'm a civilian now. Don't judge me. (laughs) A great advice that my father gave me once was never break more than one law at a time. 
And so here's what we have. We have a kid with no license uh, in a stolen car with guns and he's speeding. And so they pull him over and they get him for all that shit. And then they pop the trunk and there's $100,000 in counterfeit money in the trunk. Oh, man. I heard that. I heard that on the scanner, you know. Then there was the night that uh, there was a, uh, five or six cars pulled over on the side of the road and the police walked up to see what was going on. And they all pulled out their the people who were pulled over had rifles in their hands and took off into the woods and they were a militia. And so I'm fought. They shut down the whole road because there's guys with machine guns running around on the highway. Remember this, right? This was a mess. Yeah. I heard about this, dude. So I'm working. I don't see it. I only hear it. I put on the TV the next day. They were all black. That's not what the mind picture that I had was not Uh, that. When you think militia, you think Montana, you think, (laughs) you know, certain flags and such of that, you know, and you know, they didn't really get in trouble for that because they theoretically didn't break any laws. They, Pulled over because they ran out. First of all, they're going on their way to militia games and they run out of gas. That's what militia game. I don't know. They're going to go shoot in the woods, you know, whatever. Like, get ready for the when the government comes, you know, just whatever. Yeah. Um, Just like, dude, okay. You know, it's so funny when you think that you and your rifle is going to stop a nuclear power. No one that can bomb half of Afghanistan in one button, dude. Right. right. They're not worried about you. Uh, But they ran out of gas. That's why they're on the side of the road. God damn Biden and the gas prices. And then they're black and the cops pull out like, what are you doing? And then they see the guns and the cops draw. So these guys took off scared for their lives. I don't even think they got in trouble. Shit, good. Yeah, I'm not sure they did anything illegal, you know. Yeah, good. good for them yeah. to get not in trouble. Dude. I like when people don't get in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> but they, get in trouble. they didn't break five laws at once like that other kid. Oh, man, dude, seriously. So when you do dirt, you don't. Drive fast. You don't yeah. have pinned windows. You have your seatbelt on. You don't have your windows now with music playing, and nobody should be in the car that's not involved in whatever you're doing. But also, you shouldn't be breaking law. Period. Don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm too old for that shit. Uh, I, I had a friend uh, not that long ago. He got he was holding pounds of weed, and he was walking in Brookline, I think, like a money town. Dude, don't do that. Don't right. And he Look was on. looking in car. He he saw a car with a purse in the passenger seat. And all he did was stop and look in the car. And that was suspicious enough for him to get yeah, stopped. Brooklyn, dude. They won't even let you park overnight there if you're no. not in Brooklyn. They don't, you best not be looking in the fucking purse windows, dude. Yeah, just don't do it. Yeah. yeah don't do don't it. go to Brooklyn for any reason, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. You know what you can do in Brooklyn? Not that I carry the way, but like my friend in middle school, my friend's mom worked at the, um, the Planned Parenthood. That, that got shot up. I, okay, yeah, I remember that, yeah. He, his mom was working that day. Uh, but you can't buy veal. But you yeah, 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 that makes sense. And I'm, I'm for both. Like, I'm not anti-abortion. Don't get it twisted. I've been to that Planned Parenthood as an, as an adult with ladies. Right, right, right. Part, but you can't even buy veal there. But you go into Boston and there's veal, you know, you go to you know, East right. They had a smoking ban like 10 years before anybody. Oh. You can't have plastic bottles. Ah, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, water has to come in a glass bottle or whatever. An $8 bottle of Voss water. You get the yeah, you know, but they mean well. Yeah, know. they mean well. They mean well. Detention. Anyway, we, all we're doing is talking. I, uh, I, there's, I have nothing to promote. I got nothing. You know, I, I have a record coming out like in September. Like, so there's nothing. I got no shows coming up. It's coming up soon. Time fucking flies, bro. Plus, I got, promote. I got a book out. So. You know, um, it's all good. And plus, it's not even always about promotion. People are going to go and check out all, all the archives of, of Mr. Tension, you know, yeah. and all that yeah. good stuff. Yeah. The, um, 
the book thing is something I need to look into. I have, I, I you know, I grow, I don't know if you know this. Oh, did you freeze on me? I'm here. I'm just okay. sitting still as a fucking. That was oh, really still. And then you just texted me. So that was weird. I did. But, I, uh, that was from earlier. Yeah, or, or I just popped oh, up. I can tell you. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I grew up in a cult. There's a whole other podcast. You oh, know, so we're going to do a round two. I love cults. I'm fascinated. What, yeah. what's, what's the cult? So it's called the Way International. It's a Christian group that my mother joined in the 70s that caused my parents' divorce. And then we moved to Indiana and lived behind a, uh, you know, a, a wall, basically, like in a compound. Oh, dude, we this is a, a whole other podcast. I'm fascinated. Yeah. And so I have books. I have a book I want to write. But there's a few things. I, my relationship with my mother isn't good. And none of the stories in my book are going to paint her in the greatest light. Bro. And, you know, so I, I feel like I have to wait till she my, read my books. I, I'm very honest about things than family members of the people who raised me. And I wasn't shitting on anybody, but I tell it how it was. And sometimes it's, you know, yeah. not everyone's going to be happy, but that was your life. It's not, you're not making it up. Right, right. I'm not. So as morbid as it sounds, I think I can't put that book out until she passes because right. I don't want her. To, she, she, she doesn't have a relationship with her son. No, I, because her, her own fault. But that's hard. And that sucks for her. Yeah. I'm sure even even though I don't want to see her and she hurt me beyond repair, um, it's got to hurt her that she doesn't have a son anymore. Yeah. And she's never met her grandkids. Ugh. So does she really need to read my book also? You Dude, know, I mean, I uh, my latest book my, is, is about me and my father sort of. And we didn't have a great relationship. He's he's dead now. So okay. this comes out and I have another one I want to write about his life style which i could never i can't write to my grandmother's passed away because it's just too much but i feel where you're coming from but for you it might might be very therapeutic and healing yeah i think th so i just need to write it and then worry about putting it out later yeah you know uh, i think the therapy comes in writing it i think yeah that's they do that's the best part is that's yeah. the therapeutic part of it is the writing the editing will make you fucking choke up and you have to reread the same painful yeah shit. yeah uh, so uh, what was, was David Koresh an, a good musician or not? <laughs> no.